riches we were promised may stand. They are unruly and therefore cannot be ruled. To challenge them is to court death. Welcome to Geek Fights Comic Book Club. Yeah, this is the GFCBC. See? Yeah, because we, we've got the GFBC, uh, but this is the GFCBC. Mike is the one that set this up. Um, it, it's basically his baby. Um, I guess I could introduce folks. Um, oh, that's right. Uh, Jeremy Sacker. Say hello. Hello. Uh Anthony, other one. Hi, everybody. And back on the show in like since like a year and a half, we didn't forget about you, Darnell. Darnell Boudelie. Here I am. How you doing? Rock and roll. So, Mike, tell us what we're doing. Well, tonight we are talking about the Infinity Gauntlet, a six-issue miniseries from uh, Marvel Comics that uh, started in July of 1991. Uh, it was written by Jim Starlin, penciled by George Perez and Ron Lim, inked by Joe Rubenstein. Uh, this, uh, the reason we chose this is this is really the, the kind of tour de force for the villain Thanos. Uh, Thanos, who uh, I'm sure uh, all of you have seen, though maybe not everybody actually knew who it was, uh, was the villain who's kind of behind everything in the Avengers movie. He's the guy that's in the teaser. And uh, he'd been around since, like, about 1973. He started off in Iron Man. He appeared in Captain Marvel and in Warlock. Uh, then he, uh, he sort of faded from the Marvel Universe in uh, the end of uh, the Death of Captain Marvel graphic novel. Um, and then Jim Starlin, who, uh, who created him and, and wrote him in uh, Captain Marvel and in Warlock, brought him back in Silver Surfer. Uh, followed by a couple issues uh, called the Thanos Quest, which was a great series also. We, we would have done that if that was still in print. Uh, and then it all kind of culminates in this uh, big Marvel crossover epic, the Infinity Gauntlet. Um, just to sort of set the stage a little bit, uh, this was 1991 when this came out. Uh, and and this, was, this was when comics were kind of starting to boom. Jim Lee was on the X-Men. Rob Liefeld was on... New Mutants, which would uh, soon turn into X-Force. Todd McFarlane was on Spider-Man. Uh, Peter David was, uh, was doing the Hulk. Uh, Walt Simonson, I think, had uh, he, he was either finishing up his run on the Fantastic Four, or he might have, but I think he was still on it. So this was really Marvel Comics uh, at its peak. Uh, this was before uh, the Speculator boom. This is when things were, were, were becoming huge. And uh, they hadn't done a big crossover like this uh, really since... Uh, since Secret Wars. Uh, there had been some small crossovers, some uh, things that ran through annuals and things like that. But uh, this was really a, a, a big deal. Um, it was Marvel Cosmic. Jim Starlin did a lot of cosmic stuff. George Perez was from uh, Crisis on Infinite Earths. Uh, and uh, he, although he had done a lot of work for Marvel, um, he, he left the book about halfway through and was replaced by Ron Lim. And I'm sure we'll get to that when we talk about the individual issues. So uh, that's that's pretty much what we're talking about and, and where everything starts off. Um, but uh, we've all read it, and uh, let's let's get to some general uh, impressions of uh, of the book. 
Uh, Jeremy, why don't you go ahead and start? Okay. Um, I uh, This was kind of my first real... A uh, glimpse at the Marvel Universe as a whole. I was in 1991. I was 11 years old, so I had kind of just a very beginner's um, kind of feel about comics in general. You know, I read some Spider-Man, I read some Flash, and some Superman and Batman, but it wasn't until this collection, this crossover, that I really saw how you know cool comics could actually really be to have all these different heroes and villains you know just in the same um in the same uh, six issues was just like like mind-boggling to me and it really made me uh like fall in love with uh thanos uh as you know pro- he's still my favorite villain in the marvel universe um and this this you know series just blew me away as a kid and i and i just reread it last week and it's still great it's got some really great um <laughs> some really great banter between um uh Doctor Doom and and Silver Surfer and Doctor Strange and um Thanos is you know obviously super badass and has this unbelievably uh powerful cosmic weapon at his uh you know at his on his hand and it's just uh, I don't know it just I I just thought it was um just a fantastic uh you know uh series and still kind of you know has a special place uh in my heart uh you know from a purely nostalgic uh you know point of view uh, all right anthony uh, how about you uh for me believe it or not i actually collected this uh tray because you know back in i think it was what 90 when this was produced uh, uh, that was our big thing trading comic books and stuff who had the more valuable piece so i actually had the whole collection and traded it away i don't know which comic books it was for and it was just amazing that i ended up hearing about this entire uh, story in uh, a wizard magazine and i went back and collected it issue by issue and we kind of was just blown away by the entire story being told I was being introduced to Thanos for the first time, really started caring about Silver Surfer. I'll just go ahead and admit it. I'm a mainstream Marvel uh, fiend, so I was all about the X-Men, about Spider-Man, about Wolverine. It's amazing. I had I was um, subscribing to Amazing Spider-Man, Web of Spider-Man, and Spectacular Spider-Man, which all sucked ass at the time. And this was just a, a really different thing to have all these cosmic entities being introduced to some of uh, um, the cosmic deities like uh, Eternity and Galactus, the Celestials and whatnot. And it was just an amazing storyline with uh, some cool-ass powers and and actually seeing heroes die. I mean, they ended up retconning it within the uh, series, but that was just something I wasn't used to either. All right, Darnell? Okay. For me, it's pretty much like the rest of the guys. Uh, I was in and out of comics at the time. Um, I um, was half DC, half Marvel. I didn't have a favorite at the time. And the only time I had ever seen a bunch of heroes together in one spot was Marvel did a, a crossover or a miniseries, I would say. It was a three-issue miniseries called um, Contest of Champions. And they did that a long time ago. It was all heroes. And, and I had never seen... Uh, something of this magnitude before, and when I when I someone told me about it, uh, it was during the out of comics period that I was in. So I I, I think I went back and I picked up uh, issue one and two, but I started with three, and 
uh, like someone else said, this is this was my first time ever being, you know, introduced to the the, the these like cosmic deities like uh, Mistress Chaos and 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 and, and uh, the Celestials and and uh, Eternity and that kind of stuff like that. The only one I knew was the Watcher, you know, and um, it just blew me away. And 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 I fell in love with Thanos at this time. And ever since, I've just been a Thanos nut. And when I saw the Avengers and I saw them on screen in theater, like half the people knew, a couple of people, couple of people knew, but I was like smiling from ear to ear and everyone was like, well, who was that? And it just, I was just so happy because I got a chance to see Thanos on the screen. And I'm hoping that it, 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 it uh, boils out to what we all think it might be. Uh, Damon? Yeah, I don't like Infinity Gauntlet. <laughs> uh, at the time, I wasn't really reading comics. I hadn't come into comics yet. It was still a few more years before I was actually a comic book reader. I, I, I collected the cards, so I actually knew who all the characters were. Because this was the time during the time, or yeah, it was during the time when Marvel was doing the trading cards. and So I knew who all the characters were. I just, I, I really didn't care. I was, I was Superman, Batman, Spider-Man, Hulk. And, uh... This doesn't really feature Superman or Batman at all because it's the wrong company. And uh, Spider-Man and Hulk are, are not very uh, very prominent figures in it. And uh, I didn't care about the Avengers, and I still don't like Marvel Cosmic. I never really have. So it, it really had nothing for me. So reading it this time, right, it was okay. But uh, the, the, the thing I did prefer, and I, was, and I said it to Mike, like, wait, why aren't we doing Thanos Quest? Because it... it in my personal opinion, it's far superior to, to this book. Yeah, Thanos Quest was good, and uh, and really the main reason we didn't was because uh, I don't believe it's in print, and I wanted people to be able to access this and get it uh, from Amazon if they, if they listen to things like that. Um, uh, for me, I was actually a big fan of, uh, of Marvel Cosmic uh, prior to this. Um, I, was, uh, I was actually in my 20s when this came out, so I'd been reading comics for, for quite a while. And uh, my first uh, encounter with Thanos was uh, during some reprints of, uh, of the Warlock series that, uh, that he was in. And then uh, after that, uh, some of the Captain Marvel stuff. But I was very familiar with, with uh, the entities involved, familiar with all of the characters, Warlock and Thanos and, and Silver Surfer and Galactus and all that. <coughs> and, uh, and actually, at this time, I was kind of getting away from uh, Marvel a little bit. Uh, when, when DC had the Crisis on Infinite Earths and, and rebooted their universe, I really started getting into a lot more of that. Uh, Marvel, in the, in the late 80s, uh, really was, was kind of weak. Um, and uh, really, it was the, the, the fresh blood of uh, Todd McFarlane, uh, Jim Lee, and all of those guys, along with, with stuff like this, that kind of got me back into the Marvel Universe uh, after being... I've always been a Marvel guy, but I think I was reading more DC, and I think DC was kind of pushing the envelope with a lot of its books more. But when I first read Infinity Gauntlet, uh, I actually uh, didn't like it a lot. Um, like I said, I was a fan of Thanos and Adam Warlock, um, and this was a very, very different take on those two, despite being um, Jim Starlin, who, who wrote the other stuff. Uh, Starlin's 1970s Marvel work... Uh, is is still very cosmic, but uh, a lot of people will, will joke that it was it was much more drug influenced 
Uh, there's a lot of kind of religious allegory, a lot of just bizarre, weird symbolism and things like that. And so that's kind of what I came into this expecting. And then uh, George Perez, uh, or Perez being uh, the artist on, on Christ on Infinite Earth, I thought we were going to get something a little bit more like that. Uh, so I was actually disappointed when, uh, when this book uh, came out because it wasn't quite what I was expecting. Uh, when I went back and reread it recently, I wound up liking it a lot more, I think, because now I didn't have those fresh expectations coming off of uh, just a few years after Crisis and just, um, you know, now Warlock and Thanos are, are such different characters than they were originally. I think I can appreciate what I could not appreciate then. And also I think I was, you know, in my 20s and kind of, uh, you know, a burgeoning comic snob. So I was, you know, like, oh, this isn't the type of stuff. This, this is stuff I liked when I was younger. But uh, I actually liked it a lot more um, on the reread because I think I really... I wasn't going into it with preconceived notions of what I thought this thing should be. So reading it for what it was, um, I really liked it a lot. And, and the strangest thing is I, I really appreciated the, the storytelling um, that was much more common at this time, kind of the, the, the compressed storytelling that, that you had at this time as opposed to uh, now. Where, I mean, a, a lot of stuff happens in the six issues. Uh, now six issues can go by, and it's just, you know, a day. So uh, I, I think I really kind of uh, miss seeing comics that just pack this much stuff into such a small space. And with, with George Perez's artwork, uh, that makes it even better. So uh, so that's where we stand uh, kind of overall, but uh, let's let's jump right into Infinity Gauntlet number one. Um, uh, real quick, um, you mentioned how you, you were talking about the storyline and how they paced the six-issue story arc. Mm -hmm. And that's something that I wanted to bring to attention was as far as its influence. I don't know if we want to talk about that now sure. or later. If you, we, we, we're, we're making this up as we go. Well, one of the things that I definitely wanted to say is obviously this must have been the first comic book series that Brian Michael Bendis read because it's like he patterns his entire six-issue story arc based on this. One of the reasons why I kind of got out of reading comic books so much in the mid 2000s was because of Marvel's emphasis on having this six issue story arc because they wanted to push those trade paperbacks, paperbacks and get put into Barnes and Nobles and all the other bookstores. So for me, the six issue story arc that Marvel does is like the first four issues is a bunch of setup, exposition, story, and uh, plot. Issue number five is the big giant battle. Issue number six is um, recollection on what just happened and little hints or teased to what's going on. And if you read these issues of Infinity Gauntlet, it's really, this is the template of what has become Marvel's writing for their six-issue six story arc trade paperback industry that they're driving towards now. As like the first three issues is a lot of uh, exposition, although to Jim Starling's credit, there's a lot of action in those first three issues. There's two big battles in issue number four and five and then six, a little bit of battle, but a lot of um, exposition and uh, where the story ends. And that's something I definitely noticed rereading this. That's interesting because also one of the things that, that I had forgotten <laughs> is there's kind of a twist in the middle when all of a sudden, uh, you know, Thanos is no longer really the, the villain of the piece, um, which is also something that seems to happen a lot nowadays is there will be just it'll go in a direction and then it'll sort of spin and go into a new direction and then kind of spin back to the original direction and resolve. 
Uh, and, and yeah, I think you're right. I think this was, this really is the template for, uh, I guess, the modern uh, event book in, in many ways. Uh, one of the things that I, 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 I don't remember, um, and maybe it's because, like I said, I wasn't reading a lot of Marvel comics at this time. Were there a lot of, of uh, books that crossed over into this? Like, was there an Infinity Gauntlet banner? And it's like, this issue of Thor ties into the Infinity Gauntlet. And I, really I think can't there was. So, I yeah, think there was. That, uh, um, even, even that's kind of like the, the template for how things are now. Absolutely. I, I specifically remember that the sequel to this, uh, Infinity War, there was a ton of tie-in books. Because if, I don't know if you guys read that one, but like yeah. somehow like it, it get, the Marvel Universe gets invaded by all these like doppelgangers, uh, copies of all, you know, evil copies of all the heroes. Yep. Um, and there was, I remember I was a huge Spider-Man fan, so I read, you know, all four Spider-Man titles, and there was definitely Spider-Man tie-ins, so, and I think I remember that there were other times for that, but this one, I do believe there were tie-ins, but I don't remember if it was as great as when it was in the Infinity War, uh, time. You know, it's interesting that you mentioned that, and I I just kind of made another connection here, is, so yeah, this was the Infinity Gauntlet, they followed that up with the Infinity War, and then the Infinity Crusade. Yes. Um, and so really one event kind of leads into another event, which is also basically how things are operating now with things like House of M leading oh, yeah. into, you know, whatever civil war. And that leads into Dark Reign or Secret Invasion. I mean, all of the events that we see really from certainly from, uh, I think, Avengers dissembled up through Avengers versus X-Men now has really just been this long series of event after event after event. And, uh, and again, that's something that I don't think they intended when they created this book. Uh, but certainly the success of this and the way that they followed it up has been something that Marvel has been mirroring ever since. And I think uh, it's been to the detriment as well to, uh, comics in general. Well, especially to Marvel, I don't think DC does that as much. They do have the more self-contained single issues that has an over, overarching storyline. But definitely Marvel, they, they really rely on that six-issue story arc. Yeah, for sure. And, uh, and I, think, yeah, I think that started um, more recently in Civil War. Pretty much as soon as Civil War happened... It was just like, I mean, when was the last time there wasn't a Marvel crossover with some of the implications coming from the previous Marvel crossover? I mean, it's just been one continuous stream of six to seven issue miniseries that play off the one before it. Yeah, certainly going back to House of M. Um, and, and, yeah, that's uh, I, th- I think that's really where that, where that kind of starts. And in here, you know, we get the three in a row, but it, it doesn't, it, I don't think it goes any, any beyond that, but that also might be around the time that this ends is when, uh, the, the industry itself is kind of having some problems and, and Marvel's hitting, uh, you know, bankruptcy and, uh, you know, just sort of in, in a state of, of disarray. And it really was until the two thousands when they kind of got their shit back together again. Uh, but but on this, um, just you know, one thing I just want to jump into uh, is is the artwork by uh, George Perez. Um, even though this this was a little bit rushed, uh, he was working on Wonder Woman and some other stuff at DC at the time. I thought that that uh, this was absolutely fantastic artwork. And then when it switches to Ron Lim halfway through, who is is a, a good artist, a competent artist, uh, it just it really it really hurt the book a lot for me. What do you guys think? Well. 
Uh, I don't really care. <laughs> as odd as it seems, especially especially back then, uh, if it wasn't Jim, if it wasn't one of those uh, the, the new cats, <laughs> as you would call them, uh, Jim Lee, uh, Eric Larson, Rob Liefeld, if it wasn't those new guys, I didn't really care who was doing it. I didn't. I, I, I as a matter of fact, Ron Lim. When when it turns to Ron Lim, I'm like, oh, this is the Marvel universe I remember because I don't remember reading anything really with Perez as a kid. I, it was always either the New Guns or somebody like Ron Lim, cleanup man. Yeah, he was he was a pretty good go to guy back then uh, on a lot of books, and he was doing the Silver Surfer, which this all sort of uh, came out of, at least the resurrection of Thanos. Um, Getting getting to the story for a second, um, you know the the plot here is uh, in in Thanos' quest. Thanos has assembled the uh, the six Infinity Gems, uh, each one controlling a different aspect of the universe. Uh, there's uh, what time and space, uh, the soul, reality, power, power. and the mind. Uh, so anyone who controls these six gems controls all of those things, and essentially. Uh, all of of creation itself, uh, and he does this, and and his his whole mo really going back to uh, the the cosmic cube storyline is because he's in love with this personification of death, and uh, and is continually trying to impress her, uh, and and so he assembles this this power this infinity gauntlet all of these six gems worn on on one glove, and uh, he's got infinite power. And uh, doesn't really know what to do with it. Uh, I, I thought that was kind of kind of a strange uh, way to take this character. I mean, so many of the other big stories we see is about a villain trying to get power, and here we have a villain who has infinite power, um, and all he really wants to do with it is uh, find himself a special little lady that's <laughs> just not interested in him. But but that seems to be Marvel's kind of mo at the time. Like when when the villains would win, they would go. Uh, what do I do now? And and, and that, eventually ruin it for themselves. Yeah, and that's exactly what they would end up doing. Because uh, Emperor Doom is kind of similar, even though he knew exactly what he wanted to do, but he was bored by the end. So he, he let uh, Wonder Man save the day. So, you know, it, it's kinda, it was kind of a staple for at least a couple of really good stories is the villain gets what they want, and then they don't know what to do. And... Uh, I could see that he he wanted to impress a girl. Girl didn't have, want shit to do with him, and he's like, "Fuck! I, I did all this for you, bitch. What the fuck? Okay, well I'll keep trying this shit." So uh, the, the whole time he's being manipulated by Mephisto, by uh, the devil, yeah, by the the devil is whispering in his ear, uh, telling him all the things that uh, that will will be his downfall. Um, and and uh, like you had, had mentioned earlier, this this really is. You've got Thanos. He's got these abilities. It triggers the resurrection of Adam Warlock, uh, Doctor Strange, and the Silver Surfer, and a lot of the the big gun uh, Marvel mystical and cosmic characters all all realize something's up. And uh, and basically, then you do have the the classic sort of getting the band together. Uh, that's really what happens. Is a lot of this this is about assembling a team of heroes to take on this villain uh, who has decided that he's going to wipe out half the life of the universe, half of the living things in the universe in an effort to impress uh, his mistress death. 
Uh, he snaps his fingers, and uh, every other person in the world vanishes, which uh, I thought was a really, really strange and, and kind of powerful scene. Uh, all of a sudden, you know, people are just uh, just disappearing. You know, the it, characters that we know uh, from all around the Marvel Universe, and that, that gets everybody going, hey, what's going on? I like how um, when it happens to the uh, the Kree and the Skrull, they instantly blame the other race for doing it. <laughs> I thought that was a nice touch. Because it's yeah. not just happening on Earth, it's happening all over the universe. Yeah, so. throughout the universe, on every planet. Although it, it is just kind of interesting that... Uh, you know what? What were the choice? Like, you know, because it's it's half. So every other person should be gone, um, and uh, you know, just just random chance seemed to. It, you know, they're really lucky that like Captain America stuck around and the Silver Surfer stuck around, and I know all the best you know, heroes were able. To yeah, somehow. I mean, Squirrel Girl's <laughs> probably gone, and Speedball's gone, but we get Captain America and Thor, and the Hulk. You know, when you mentioned who got stuck around, I was I was thinking like, who got assembled to go take on Thanos? I was I'm really looking at that lineup. It was like that's not really a deep lineup. Like none of the Fantastic Four is there, and you giving me Nova. I was a little disappointed in that. Yeah, there was some. Stri- I I kind of wonder uh, what were the like were there limitations on who he could and couldn't use. Well, actually, I'm looking at a page. I don't have a number here, but right when everyone starts to disappear, there's a page in which all of the heroes that have disappeared are, are listed, and the entire Fantastic Four are yeah. gone. Oh, yeah, I'm so, looking at that page. You know, I think that... I'm not sure if that was like some kind of like writing you know, decision or if they really wanted to go in with this kind of limited... Uh, you know, team lineup. But if you remember later in the series, the team lineup, you're reading it and you're like, oh man, the Avengers and Spider-Man and the Hulk and the Wolverine, they're going to kick his ass. But like, they're only used as like a distraction for Warlock's greater scheme, which is to bring the the huge cosmic entities in as a surprise attack. And, you know, they're just there to distract Thanos. And he realizes that <laughs> they're probably all going to die. <laughs> you know, just... It's funny. I'm looking at that page and you've got, yeah, I mean, it's the the entire Fantastic Four uh, and then a lot of Alpha Flight and uh, like Daredevil and Luke Cage and Black Panther and the Beast. Um, I mean, to be honest, it's like y- you keep Nova, but Hercules you get rid of. I think he would have been a, a bit would have been a little bit more helpful. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I wonder what uh, what the, the they replaced him with the distraught with with Drax because Drax is tied to Thanos, I believe. So they yeah. felt I, I'm guessing that they probably wanted to go in with the two big guys, Hulk and Drax, to kind of, you know, be the heavy hitters. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, you know, Hercules would have been really cool, too. And it's, it's really funny. Only three mutants with Scarlet Witch, Cyclops and Wolverine, which I, I, I'm kind of surprised they decided to go with Cyclops in that. Oh, yeah. not really. Cyclops at the time, because that's isn't that right when they right in the middle of um, what do you call that? It's is it at the middle of X Factor or is it near the end of his run on X Factor? Uh, he was still part of X Factor at that time. Yeah, so an X Factor was a kind of a big deal. So and and Cyclops was a big deal. I, I don't. I think people kind of forget because he he got marginalized a lot uh, more more so <laughs> because of the movies, but. Cyclops in the late 80s, early 90s was a fucking big gun, even though he's not, not by today's standards. But at, at the time, he was 
he was the, the real deal Holyfield. If you if you got Cyclops, you've got a chance. As a matter of fact, I think that's why the the lineup is the way they the way it is. If you've got this guy, you've got a chance. If you've got Squirrel Girl instead of Captain America, you have no chance. But with Captain America, you have a chance. Oh and yeah, that, it's, it's it's. I think that's what that. it was. And I and I think with the Fantastic Four being gone, the chances you're going to lose because with a cosmic event. You bring in the Fantastic Four, you're going to win because that's what the Fantastic Four does. They win cosmic events. Anything cosmic, Fantastic Four kicks the shit out of it. So you take them out of the equation to to up the ante. And this is also a very Avengers uh, centric uh, lineup. You know, the Fantastic Four aren't in there. Uh, there aren't a lot of mutants, but you know, you've got. All of the big gun Avengers, you've got the, the, the Vision, you've got Thor. Even though it was funny, I, I had forgotten that uh, for a brief while uh, Thor was replaced by uh, Eric Masterson. Um, yeah. Thunderstrike. Yeah, who, yeah, who eventually becomes <laughs> Thunderstrike. And what, what was interesting is I do recall while, uh, when, when they actually started this, it was the, the regular Thor. And then the changes happened in the Thor book and they had to kind of tack a beard on and throw you can even see like some of the the thought balloons and, and word balloons that are like the lettering is a little bit different because they kind of had to paste that in at the last minute have him thinking things like oh wow in the middle of this chaos i, ha- I can't let them realize that i'm not the real thor because <laughs> when it was written it was the real thor uh, and speaking of, of thor what was interesting is there's a, a really nice scene where you've got odin and Zeus and Osiris and all of the the heads of the different pantheons uh, oh, getting yeah, together, awesome. saying, "Okay, uh, you know, we're gonna we're gonna have to do something here. We're 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 the ones who really kind of control the universe, and uh, and and this guy is a threat." And then uh, Thanos just uh, cuts them all off from uh, from existence and and basically takes them out of the picture with uh, with one move. It's awesome. Now, uh, what do you guys think about the way that they introduce uh, the Warlock character in here? I mean, you guys weren't familiar with Warlock prior to that. Uh, do you think this introduction was an, was an interesting uh, way to, to bring him into this story? You know, being these, talking... these three criminals that are on the run oh, yeah. that, that basically get in a car accident and then their, their bodies get taken over by the souls of, of um, Warlock and Pip and Gamora. I I know that for me, when I first read it, I was like, what the hell is going on in these scenes? I don't know who these people are. It's like a bunch of criminal bums that are somehow involved in this, you know, giant crossover. But then it starts to make sense. Um, but really, the only one that really matters is, is Warlock. I mean, the other ones are kind of just like they make an appearance like once or twice later in the in the series. But, um, you know, Warlock is just suddenly like this super cool, you know, uh, badass who has an idea of how to actually, you know, beat Thanos. And uh, I think that that was um, that was really cool. Um, and it actually made me want to read at the time the Thanos quest. I actually read Infinity Gauntlet before I read Thanos quest. And um I thought it was, uh, you know, really cool to go back and kind of see how he was actually collected all the gems. So and I learned more about Warlock, too. I, I liked how, uh, you know, as as the Avengers are kind of, of getting together their their group and, and, and figuring out how, what, what's going on, really. They don't even know what's happening. They just know that uh, all these people are dying. Uh, meanwhile, you've got uh, Warlock doing his thing, but then... 
Uh, you've got the Silver Surfer who who had rushed to Earth to find Doctor Strange to uh, to warn him of this impending disaster, and uh, Doctor Doom shows up, and uh, that was really a lot of fun. I mean, I, I think they did a great job with Doom. Uh, obviously, he does not want the universe to end because he's part of it. Yet he still is not going to listen. He still insists that he's the smartest. He should be in charge. Uh, you know, his ego uh, is always on display in this book and, and, you know, ultimately is is actually kind of, you know, bad for everybody. What's great yeah. about it is this Doom is actually the only villain that actually banded together with the heroes to go fight Thanos, which in itself is just kind of weird. And I guess he's taking the place of the Fantastic Four since he is their main um, antagonist. But I, I just find that kind of interesting in the fact that he's still all about self-preservation. He's still about being in control. He's still all about... Uh, in actuality, it seemed like he resents Thanos for getting this power that either he didn't know about or he himself couldn't uh, get and acquire for himself. Yeah, and, and isn't... Uh, I mean, maybe I'm kind of missed from... Doesn't, doesn't he basically at the end try to get the gauntlet himself. Yep. He tried several. Times. Which uh, he, re- he reaches for it. Yeah. Which was kind of a nice callback to back in in the Secret Wars when uh you know in, instead of trying to you know band together to get themselves out of the situation doom I'm just going to take the beyonder's power. You know that that <laughs> seems to be his thing and, and it's like why do they why do they keep inviting doom to be a because part of this? Because he's the second smartest person. <laughs> In the Marvel Universe, behind Reed Richards. Like, I mean, you he's know basically he's... the evil Reed Richards. Why wouldn't you want him Because to he's the help? evil one. You know he's, he's a... going to betray you. Doom isn't evil. Uh, he's evil. He just no, doesn't realize it. He's not, he's, he's he's not evil. He, he, he's, he's an antagonist, definitely, but he's not evil. He doesn't want the universe in, not just because it would be bad for him, but because it's bad for everybody. It's bad for business. It's not... You know, he's... He, he is an anti. He's an anti-hero in this, and he's out for himself. But he's not a villain. A villain is a, a strong word. As a matter of fact, when he does take over the world and Emperor Doom, the world is a much better place. We just lose our free will. So you know, right, Doom, if anything, you know, strong. I think that I think all of that qualifies as a villain. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, maybe in this particular crossover, he's more of an. I would say he's like an anti-villain, where like it's a villain that you root for. Um, but you know, he's Dr. Doom. I mean, he's always out for power for himself to make, you know, himself the ruler of the world, or at least expand his territory in Latveria. And, um, I loved his, um, his interchanges with, uh, with Silver Surfer, uh, he basically, as Silver Surfer's like healing and, and, you know, trying to, you know, assert his, uh, his power to him, just basically just like blasts him in the face and <laughs> tells him that he's going to fall victim to a superior intellect and power than just like in their last encounter. He just blows him in smithereens. It's awesome. <laughs> you know, yeah. as much, uh, as much crap as people give that dialogue for back in the day, a line like that is actually missed with today's comic books. I mean, it's, it's kind of cheesy, but it's like... It's glorious. It's amazing. Yeah, I, I miss it. That's, again, when, when I, you know, coming back to this, that was one of the things that I, I really, as I was reading this, I was kind of going, you know, there was something, there was a, 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 a melodrama and a, and, a, and a hugeness to this, whereas like now a lot of comics, 
you know, the, the thing that I keep saying is comic books now seem like they're, they were written uh, to be like hour-long TV shows, which is really just kind of clever, Absolutely. witty, smart banter. And, and you know, and, and there's, there's really good stuff, too. And I don't, I don't think comics shouldn't be written like that. But I, I really miss this kind of, of just big, broad stuff. And you know when when you when you read it out loud, it's campy. But when you're just kind of reading it in your head, that's just oh, it's that's awesome. a big scary shit. Yeah, he that's Zoom was like super menacing. Uh, like that's he just like he just took out the Silver Surfer so like nonchalantly, and it's just he's you know you don't really see that as much anymore. He's much more um, you know kind of like mysterious and in the shadows and and you know doesn't really always like kind of flaunt uh, his his dickishness as much as he did back then. Yeah, and and as I said, uh, I was really big into the X Men and grew up on Chris Chris Claremont. To me, he was like the best writer ever. But you could definitely see the difference between his writing style and Jim Starlin. Jim Starlin didn't give you a whole lot of exposition, as opposed to Chris Claremont, who would go into backstory after backstory with not only dialogue but with thought bubbles and with the uh, I, I guess those exposition. Um, um, I'm trying to. I'm drawing a blank on what they would just tell you. Set up the scene. Uh, Starling's writing is they, he doesn't. He pretends like you know the characters, so yeah. he's not giving you Doom who burned himself back in college or Spider-Man with his amazing uh, arachnid powers. You know, yeah. just throw things out there. Whereas Chris Claremont, that was just the thing he would do every issue. Wolverine with those adamantium claws, you could kill someone with them, and it's like. Yeah, yeah no, we get it. No we one's recounting their a- origin every issue. Well, I, I think uh, part of the reason, it, at least in this one, is it is a big crossover, and Sterling trusts his artists to actually be able to tell part of that story with art and not necessarily having to write out the words. He might have wrote the words in the script, but part of a comic book, part of the storytelling of a comic book is from the artwork. And uh, you get a lot of that in in, in both Ron Lim and... Uh, Perez and stuff, where where stuff is said on, on in the caption, but it's through the the visuals, not necessarily through the words. Well, one of the things that that I think is very different, and 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 is one of the reasons why we have the differences in kind of storytelling uh, styles and, and the amount of words and what what the words tell versus what the pictures tell, is at this time Marvel uh, books were all done with what was known as the Marvel style, which is the writer would not do a script. They would do a plot. They would basically, it. So sometimes it would just be a short plot of just this is what happens in the issue. A lot of times it would just be on this page. Galactus is in his ship. Uh, he, you know, flies off. He operates his controls and zips away. And basically, the artist is just given the the plot. Sometimes not, you know, written out. Sometimes the the artist is even the co-plotter. And then after the writer. And the artist will draw the pages and the writer will get it back and then the writer will add the dialogue and the balloons uh, kind of filling in what the artist didn't. So there wasn't a lot of redundancy and because the artist had to basically tell the story with the pictures without any words, uh, you get much more visual storytelling than you get now. The, an artist typically is not going to write a page, or is not going to do a breakdown of a page where it's you know a guy sitting there you know, for four blank panels in a row and then speaking in the very last panel. That's something a writer does. An artist is going to make the action, make doing things 
makes something happen in every panel. And, and you definitely see that here. And George Perez is very, very good at that. I mean, you really can. I'm just, I'm just flipping through it. And without reading any dialogue, you know what's going on in every page. Like Iron Man's analyzing something. Iron Man sees something. The thing starts shaking and then it explodes and then he gets hit. I mean, that's, you don't need the words to understand what's happening. A perfect example of that is uh, uh, book two, page 15, which is like a real uh, classic shot of uh, Star Fox. He got teleported and there's Thanos with the Affinity Gauntlet right in his face. And, and he, there's, not a, there's no dialogue, but you get everything that's going on in that, uh, on that page. Star Fox is shocked. He sees immediately there's the Affinity Gems. What the fuck? I'm in trouble. And then the, next, the very next thing you see at the bottom of the page, Star Fox is wrapped in chain. Now, back in the 60s and 70s, Stan Lane would have, I'm sorry, Stan Lee would have had a whole lot of thought bubbles explaining everything there. And then himself, oh my God, I'm trapped. Thanos must have used his reality warping abilities of the <laughs> Infinity Gauntlet to ensnare me here. How will I ever escape? And oh my God, there's Mephisto. So I just, it's kind of refreshing to see this type of artwork and storytelling with this book. Yeah, it's not it's not nearly as heavy handed as uh, some of the Stanley, uh, you know, dialogue. Um, right, was Star Fox you referring to Eros? By the way, I just wanted to. Um, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Well, I think it's interesting that uh, you know the the writer of this, uh, Jim Starlin. Uh, prior to this, most, if not all, of the books that he had written were books that he had also drawn. He was. Uh, primarily a writer artist throughout the 70s and at this point uh you know Perez had been writing Wonder Woman since about 1987 so you've got guys who are both very both veterans and both very very uh comfortable with both writing and art so I think they both kind of know enough about each discipline to realize they don't have to overdo their part to get the story across yeah, I, I wanted to, uh, I think that's a great point. I wanted to kind of also touch on the point you made earlier about difference between uh, George Perez and Ron Lim. Um, for me, it wasn't as big of a shock. Like, I, they kind of have similar styles, I feel. Like, I'm just looking at, I always judge just, like, the way that they draw faces. And they, I feel like Lim does draw similarly to George Perez. Obviously, George Perez is the, is the more superior artist. You know, he's been around longer, and he's, you know, his work on the, you know, Crisis on Infinite Earths is just, you know, amazing. But um, it didn't bother me as much. The only thing that really bothered me throughout the whole series was this, like, almost like th there was too much use of white. Like, every, all these giant structures were just, like, white. And there was like I almost felt like they were like skimping on the ink uh, in some some pages. Like uh, his the castle that he that he creates for for Lady Death is like you know uh, it's all white. And then you know there's just panels where there just seems to be so much white and not enough like at least shading or or um, you know I don't know if anyone else uh, noticed that. Oh, definitely. But, um, I think that I'm not sure if that was an economic issue or if it was intentional, but it seemed it, it could have been a little bit, you know, uh, better in my opinion. Yeah, the I, coloring seemed to be a little a little weak throughout a lot of this story. Well, I, I think the uh, the white was a little bit of both uh, economical and, and speed wise, uh, because when you think about it, that that those black space uh, backgrounds that's a lot of ink it's a lot of actually drawing that stuff in 
when he didn't really have time to do that. He was about to abandon the book. So you do a lot of white, you don't have to worry about backgrounds and stuff like that because it's not what the story is about. The story is not about the backgrounds, especially when you're in space for most of it. You don't need it. It's unnecessary. But even like you know, a lot of the stuff that's on Earth, uh, there, and I, I wonder if if maybe part of it is a time issue, not time so much as is in the the coloring, but uh, at this point, without you know getting too kind of uh, you know deep into this, this is long before computer coloring, and the the process that was used to color a comic book at this time uh, is very very uh, difficult and very very complicated, and that's why you tend to get flat colors, uh, you don't get a lot of gradients. Um, but even then, you know, you can see other comics at this, uh, from this time period, uh, there will be more color, uh, more highlights, more layering. Uh, but it seems like with this, that that's not the case. And I wonder if at least part of that isn't because, uh, like many of the, the, see the big event books that, that we have now, this is a book that, that was having deadline problems. Uh, a lot of it was due to uh, uh, Perez and, and being kind of overcommitted. But, you know, if this was a book where they're constantly coming up against the deadline, the last step in this process is the colorist. And it's like, look, you got four days to do this whole book. And okay, well, then uh, there's going to be a lot of white space because then the color separators don't have to do anything there. Um, and yeah, they, I mean, just even looking at, at a lot of it, there's a lot of odd, uh, even kind of pastel choices, and and there were there was certainly you know the, the technological limitations, but you know there were a lot of books. I remember the the Jim Lee X Men books that were coming out at this time had very complicated, very interesting, and very strong colors, whereas in this you know we've got some odd pink buildings here and there, which just uh, look a little weird. I this would be a great candidate to be recolored. For a modern hardcover, oh, or something absolutely! Like, that. like a giant, one of those giant, like Sandman type um, yeah. hardcover collections. So I would, I would love that. You know, one thing I'm actually as I'm flipping through, I'm at kind of at the scene where uh, where you see a lot of of devastation and earthquakes happening. Uh, you know, New York's hit by an earthquake. Uh, there's a uh, the the West Coast crumbles off into the ocean. Japan is flooded and then eventually sunk. I mean, there was there was a real sense of even though like reading this and, and you know, maybe because I was older and, and jaded, you knew it was one of these. Oh, well, when you're dealing with cosmic reality warping entities and all of these people are dying and Japan is gone, there's going to be a reset somewhere by the end just because, you know, you know that, you know, in a year's time, the, the Marvel Universe has to look like our world again but i think they did a great job of making that devastation still feel uh important and and to the characters at least and uh, and the way it was depicted it was just i mean this was this was like a, a disaster movie at, at the beginning of this which was not something that i recall seeing a lot of and and not just uh not just the the implications for like earth but the implications for the the Marvel uh, hero universe just you know these characters were dying. <laughs> you were reading it, and you're just like, he just killed the Hulk. 
you know, the Hulk is dead, you know? It's like the most you know, the strongest, you know, Marvel hero, just like with this. And you're like, oh, my God, is that, how are they going to ever bring him back? I mean, for me, you know, I was reading this when I was, I was 11 or 12. And, yeah, I think the difference in age, perhaps, it, it hit me a lot more. I was just like, how is this ever going to be, you know, changed? You know, what are they going to do? And then, you know, with the reality warping powers, they were able to kind of just put the retcon, push the retcon button. But but it's not a retcon. It is a retcon button. But when you really think about it, at the time, things died and they didn't come back. This is right before the death of Superman or right around the time of death of Superman. Yeah, so, I think that was 94. So No, death of Superman is 92, right? I thought it was 94. Oh, all right. You might be yeah, right. Something like that. I'm not sure. Yeah. So, so, you know, things died and they didn't come back. They were done. Robin right. had just a, died a few, five years A few before. things uh, died and came back by this point. I mean, certainly here you've got, uh, you know, in this particular storyline, Thanos had died and come back. Uh, Warlock had died and come back. Yes, but you, those are two characters that nobody knew. Uh, and, right. and, and I, well, they, did, saying... they didn't tend to kill major characters prior to this. Right. But, uh, but yeah, I mean, that was, that was something that was not, certainly not to, to the level that it, that it became. Um, and, and there was always, you know, the, the Phoenix had, had died and, and come back, but it, when they, it, it wasn't, it wasn't just that kind of simple reversal the way that it is now. Definitely uh, tended to have a lot more of a sense of finality. So yeah, when when some of the and, and that's one of the things as you look at this, even in something like Secret Wars, yeah, there's going to be a lot of of destruction and a lot of changes, but there was always that sense that some of it's going to stick, and wh- who's going to stay dead coming out of this? Who's going to stay changed coming out of this? You know, we know that a lot of it's going to reverse, um, and probably nothing's going to happen permanent to Spider Man, but. You know, who's to say Iron Man wouldn't? Iron Man had, had there was a, a period of many years where Tony Stark was not Iron Man. Um, you know, a, even say at this Wolverine's point. Wolverine's bones wouldn't have been jelly the whole time because Wolverine, Wolverine really hit his heyday in the 90s. Uh, I mean, he was popular in the 80s and the early 90s, but he, he is at the level that he is now. So, you know, when Wolverine's bones get turned to jelly, that could have been a permanent thing because Wolverine was a third string character at the time maybe well he was he, he was still a big gun at this point but not quite I, the way he is I don't, now i don't know if he's a big gun but uh, he uh, was he was in the upper echelon i'll, I'll give I you mean, that i think he was a big gun i mean there was a scene in infinity gauntlet where warlock kind of approaches hulk and wolverine the outsiders and basically says listen i know you guys really don't give a crap about whether someone lives or dies so i need you to make the decision to end it if you have that chance and you know you know, Wolverine's not as strong as the Hulk, but, you know, he does have, you know, six knives that come out of his fists, and those certainly are going to come into play. So, I guess. Yeah, that, that, was, kind of a, that was kind of interesting, where you, where you really have Warlock going to the... And, and it's, it's odd, when I was reading this, that, you know, the Hulk was in that category with Wolverine. You know, the, we, we know you were willing to cross the line... That Captain exactly. America and Iron Man won't, which which was just so strange because, um, even though like I I loved the Hulk at this point, this was the uh, the Hulk with Bruce Hulk. Banner's mind uh, who was working. Uh, I don't know if he was uh, with the Pantheon at this point or or, or at least around that time. <laughs> so he was he was the intelligent Hulk, which really to me this is still my favorite uh, Hulk uh, ever. 
Um, but I don't recall him being uh, that guy, although it makes a lot of sense because he he is both intelligent and uh, and, you know, full of rage at the same time, which is a scary combination. But uh, yeah, this this uh, so they, they assemble the team uh, as we're just kind of looking through this. And and yeah, I mean, you've got Namor, Spider-Man, She-Hulk. Uh, God, what's that? The Herald of Galactus, the Fire, one Lord. the Fire, Fire Lord, Doctor Strange, Drax, Hulk, Warlock. <laughs> I'm sorry. I have to laugh at you right there. Because you were just about to say, what's that guy's name? The one with the fire. Like, <laughs> and his name is so simple. Fire Lord. Like, because Terax, Terax is uh, it's just a play on uh, Terra, right? Mm-hmm. Earth. One yeah. of the things, uh, just just because just I'm looking at this panel that, that just freaked me out, was seeing the, uh, the all-white vision. I, I had forgotten that for a while he had basically been uh, bleached. Mm. Well, it was like uh, definitely Caucasian comics. They, they, Marvel liked doing that. Yeah, actually, uh, that that's a good point. I only see one black person in this lineup, but I see three green people. Yeah. See, I like uh, you know uh, you know I'm I'm just flipping through it. Uh, I, I like how uh, he dispatches Cyclops. I, I like how fucked up that is. That was the the box around his head. Just put the box around his head. <laughs> and, and not in a way where it chops his head off, which is what you would think it would do. Like, no, it's just a box where there's no oxygen and he will slowly suffocate. Hey, to go back to that line, who was the black hero? Because I'm drawing a blank. Yeah, Cloak. Cloak and Dagger. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But you thought he was a zombie and he was just rotted and not actually a black dude? You know how that works. I, I just forget. <laughs> yeah, that is, yeah there's, there's more green people than black people. <laughs> Right, Gamora's green too. We got three yeah. green people and one black. Oh, and She Hulk. She Hulk, yeah, four. Four four green and only one black guy. It's a shame. Well, I guess all the black people died because well, yeah. doesn't like black people. If it, well no first. The first thing you take out are the minorities because let's not let's not forget there are no Asians, Hispanics, yeah. uh, Middle Easterners, nothing. But that's also because that was a product of the time. Uh you, you really they, that that issue hadn't started to to crop up really, because the 1970s thought they quote unquote dealt with it. There's some Negro characters. Go ahead, have your fun, and not realizing by opening the door in the 1970s and early 60s to a few Negro characters that they would actually have to open the door for a lot more. So I like how there's one panel where uh, they show the uh, the black Captain Marvel. Uh, on the panel is we've been having difficulties calling in our reserves. It's like, so even one of the ones that survived, well, she just can't make it. <laughs> well, we, we, well, this is also in the land of Lando Calrissian. Would you really trust a black person to have your back? I'm just saying. <clears throat> oh, I like when we get to the, uh, the, the, the revelation of the big cosmic entities. Uh, I thought that was kind of a, a nice double-page spread with all of these uh, these big, important, godlike creatures. The Watcher, the Stranger, Galactus, the Celestials, Eternity. You know, this this was a big... You know, they, they, they did a great job showing kind of the, the human end of things and, and the devastation on Earth and what, what people were dealing with. 
Uh, but then to see that, you know, the, the things that basically ran the universe were kind of scared shitless too. Uh, but that well, was pretty cool. I, I like I like the moment, and and I, I will mention right now we're way out of issue issue number one. I yeah, we're we're, we're giving up on the issue by issue already. We're just ro- we're, roaming. We're, we're we're somewhere around issue four right now, and and the best moment in all of uh, the, in all of nineties comics, maybe for me at least, is the the now moment where Silver Surfer his only purpose for being there is because he's super fast. He can go really fast. He's supposed to snatch the glove, the gauntlet off of Thanos' hand, and Captain America is there to distract him, and he fails. <laughs> Not only does he fail, doesn't he break Captain America's back? Let me look. Uh, he bra- I think he breaks his neck, because Cap is done. Cap yeah, does not- he, uh, he pimp-slapped him. Yeah, he, he broke his neck. He, Captain America did not get up from that. So uh, Yeah, like number four has got that great cover with Thanos just like, Come and get me. Yep. yep. <laughs> that's such a great... That's my favorite cover of the whole six-inch uh, six run. Simple and, and just absolutely perfect. If they... Oh, sorry. Go ahead. If they do the next Avengers and Thanos is the big villain and he does not say that line, it will be an epic fail. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, do you guys think... I mean, I, I've been thinking... I've talking this with my with my own friends. Do you think that they're going to have the Infinity Gauntlet in... Avengers two because it does make an appearance in the Thor movie when they're when they're walking when Odin is walking down that hallway where all those cosmic and, and mystical uh, you know treasures are you can actually see it there. Do you think that they would actually make a film about that? Actually, I saw an article about that where they said that the whole point where they they had this real big conspiracy theory that. Um, the whole point of Loki's attack was to get captured by Thor to be sent back to Asgard so Thanos can have his thief there to bring him the Infinity Gauntlet. Hmm. It's oh, just a theory, man. but kind of makes sense. Yeah, I mean, I I don't think that they would... I, I think they would use it, um, you know, obviously because it is this, this thing in Odin's... Uh, warehouse just just like the 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 tesseract uh they're they're a little bit different so i don't know that we would get that we would be able to get this specific story but something like this yeah i think that that would uh that that would be that would be a a way to to take it up a notch um i think we're going to get this specific story with them trying to get galactus and silver surfer back well, that apparently is uh, bullshit. Oh, is it bullshit? Yeah, at least that's what that's what another report is saying is that that is not what the talks between Fox and Disney are about. But who knows? Yeah, we'll see. Yeah, but yeah, yeah that would I make read sense. That article too. Uh, it just said that they're not willing to give up the Fantastic Four rights back to Marvel, but they were they're in discussion to at least get the Daredevil rights. And Sony is never giving up the Spider-Man rights. So huh. it's you know Daredevil. I mean that's cool. I mean. Anything that they make with that is going to be an improvement on that piece of shit. So, but yeah, I mean, this idea of of Thanos getting uh, this uh, this gauntlet and the Avengers and whoever else Marvel has the rights to um, trying to stop him, uh, yeah, I think that that very much could be the story. I, like, I I don't know. Uh, the, the the details will have to change because obviously some of the characters they don't have anymore. 
or they, they aren't allowed to use. There certainly will be no X-Men, um, and at the moment, no Galactus and, and Silver Surfer, although that could change, but uh, and, and no Doom. But, you know, somebody else, could, like Loki, could fulfill the role that Doom fulfills in, in terms of being the guy who teams up with the heroes because he doesn't want the universe to die and then turns on him because he thinks he can get the power for himself. <clears throat> you know, all of that stuff can be played by other people in a smaller scale. I mean, I think they couldn't quite do this just because this would be this would be a $400 million movie. They try to make it literally. Well, they they could expand the Avengers roster and that could that could certainly help uh, well, just give it a little bit more gravitas. And I think, you know, the Guardians of the Galaxy and and the other stuff that we're going to get and and I would I would love it if they just, you know, oh, they're okay, definitely in you know all the stuff that Marvel does have the rights to, which is a ton. Okay, you know you don't have you're, you're not going to make a Doctor Strange movie. Uh, put Doctor Strange in this. You know you can put all these characters in there that don't even need a line. They don't even just speak. They can just be a costume and fighting somebody. That would be now, awesome. What do you think of this uh, this this creature that he creates for himself? This uh, kind of female Thanos. Because, uh, you know, death, is, even after getting ultimate power in the universe, even after killing half the life in the universe, death is still like, no. And so he's just like, well, fuck you. I'm making my own woman. Well, yeah. when, I, when I first saw it, I think this is she is the embodiment of what pimps would call a bottom bitch. Because the moment she see her man getting jumped, she jumped right into action. And within two panels, already even killed Spider-Man. That's the type of ride or die chick I want. <laughs> well said. And he didn't even have to say anything. He he up there getting beat down and she jumping in like, I got you. Spider-Man dead. Iron Man, where you at? I got you. Man. Now, one of the things that, that it, it's weird on, on one hand, uh, it, it's a little odd and it's a little kind of convenient and maybe, maybe an issue where the, the villain has to do something kind of, dumb but so basically the heroes are all taking on thanos yet he's got infinite power he he can tell the future and all of this and no, um, he's turned off he's turned off all of his power well, yeah and that's the thing, his is, power. Is mephisto basically pulls the you know maybe if you weren't infinitely powerful <laughs> that would impress her and thanos is like you know uh mr devil prince of lies who manipulates people <laughs> Uh, you may be right. Let me give up some of my infinite power so that these heroes have a chance. And, you know, I'm reading this on one hand going, that's strangely kind of dumb and cheesy, but it's also kind of brilliant because that's that's perfect. That's what Mephisto would do. And that's kind of what makes what makes him, uh, you know, th that's what the devil does. He, not only he tricks what, you. Not only what Mephisto would do, but that, that's well within Thanos' character. Because it, 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 it wasn't... It, Mephisto, uh, sorry, Thanos wasn't going to do anything he didn't want to do. And when Mephisto says, hey, man, you you give him a chance, you're still going to win. Like, But, you know, give him a little hope. Fuck with him a bit. That's all he said. And Thanos, with his fucking huge ego, went, you know, that sounds like fun. Why don't, why don't we give these fuckers a carrot and then start hitting him with the stick again? Because he was bored. That's, that's all he did. It, you know, it seems out of character, but it's not really. He's really, really arrogant. He's like, okay, why not? And to I, quote I, Thanos, I, it gave them a 0.05% chance of victory. <laughs> right. 
I think it also kind of ties in with uh, he's uh, he's a very tragic character. I mean, Warlock points out later in the series that like he keeps questing after these you know, almost nigh invincible powers. And when he gets them, he seems to find a way to, to lose them and to, and to lose the battle. And he, he almost like, he kind of, you know, almost like psychoanalyzes him and says that, I don't think you want this power. I don't think you think you're worthy of this power. And so I think that kind of touches on Thanos's kind of very tragic, um, uh, the tragic side of his personality. Yeah, I mean that—that's kind of the the conclusion that they come to. Even, even early there, there's this idea that Thanos loses because he wants to lose, and they just have to give him the opportunity to lose, and and he will do it. Um, he may cause a lot of destruction along the way, uh, but you know, in the end, that is his is his flaw. I love in this uh, this bit, and this is one thing where if if they do make this one of the best parts of the movie, uh, which will be one of the best parts of this series, is Thanos has basically, let's see, he's beaten everybody. The only one really left is Captain America, a, 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 dude, a regular dude, you know, an enhanced dude, a human being with a, an infinitely powerful shield. And uh, the Cap doesn't back down. There's not a chance in hell the Cap can do anything to Thanos, even... Even this non-omnipotent Thanos, uh, Captain America doesn't have a chance, but it doesn't matter. He's just going to march right up to him and say, look, I am, I'm, not, I'm not backing down. And, and, you know, that's just such a great Captain America moment. He crushes the shield. He just about, you know, goes to, uh, to get Captain America. And that's when, like we mentioned earlier, uh, the Silver Surfer swoops in and we all think he's going to snag the gauntlet. And nope doesn't work and two things about that one Thanos cheated I mean he's gonna pull up some hands out of the ground to to uh, to incapacitate uh, Captain America and two I remember uh, Wizard when it was the comic book authority they did like one of their top 25 comic book moments and I, I really didn't think this was special but this was like one of their top five Moments cap defiant against Thanos was what they titled this. Him staring down death and uh, taking it to Thanos. And yeah. with that, one of the things I definitely want to uh, talk about was what was some of your best uh, kills by Thanos? Hmm. Oh, the Wolverine one is great. Uh, the, the jelly, turning him into jelly. Well, I like that turning. Thor into crystal was kind of nice. Smashing him to pieces. I already say it. I said it. Cyclops was fucking. That was brutal. That was a good one. <laughs> it's so mean because he just does it and leaves it. Like I, as a matter of fact, let me let me look. I'm trying to look through. Well, like he's 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 Cyclops is even blasting with the eye beam, but they can only go out and hit the uh, cube. Right, you can only go out and hit the cube, and if you look, when you're looking at all the dead bodies around, and Iron Man's head has been ripped off, you can kind of still see Cyclops struggling, because he's still just suffocating. That's that's how he's going to die. I like it's gonna take. you see Captain America trying to break it open. Yeah, that, that that's sad, too. He turns uh, Nova into a bunch of child child's toy blocks. Yeah. I thought that was kind of... Uh... 
that was kind of funny. Yeah, because what was what was awesome about what, is what preceded it, where Thor is putting the pounding on him with uh, Mjolnir, and Star Fox in his mind is cheering him on, like kill him, kill Thanos, and next thing you know, he's glass, and Nova swoops in to try to uh, save the day, and he's like, uh, okay, uh, cubes, and let me get back to killing Thor. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> And then he just makes uh, Quasar's hands explode. Garland, yeah. Oh, yeah, that's, a, that's a great one. Yeah, that, that was very anticlimactic. Because you're like, and then, it's the new Captain <laughs> Marvel, and he just destroyed your power right then and there. Yeah, and, and, and why does Quasar say, not again? <laughs> but that was a funny comment to make. Was his hands oh, wow. blown off before? I, I didn't know. realize that. I, I was just looking at that panel right now, and I'm like, wow, that's what a bizarre thing to say. <laughs> Maybe he's related to Luke Skywalker. <laughs> <laughs> but easily the weirdest one was that 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 Harry Bush rash he gave Neymar and She-Hulk. <laughs> I, I, I still don't know what that was. Just him fucking with him. Yeah, I mean this is really kind of the the and what's weird is you would normally expect this big battle to be, you know, the the kind of final confrontation, but it's not. He yeah. basically just puts everybody down, and then it's like, oh, fuck, what what now? And then that's when you break out the big cosmic entities. And uh, and they, they're pretty ineffective, too. Oh, yeah. And oh, I, yeah, he's, that's fucked up. Uh, I'm, I'm sorry, I'm looking through, uh, what's his name? The only black character. Cloak? Oh, cloak. cloak, yeah, his explosion. Like I'm, uh, we're gonna suck you into the dark dimension. No. <laughs> and then uh, uh, what I, the big cosmic battle. What I thought was just kind of sad is um, the Celestials just recruiting planets and throwing them at Thanos. <laughs> like, first of all, how is that a good strategy? Yeah, I was like, that's the best you've got. Yeah, <laughs> I'm here, fly at him and just destroy those planets with people on them. Apparently. I like how uh, there's a couple of uh, uh, panels of just like the beginning of the fight, and it's this this clash of just like all these different energies, and like the Watcher is narrating, and he's basically just saying these powers are beyond the words to describe, and it's clear because you know it's just a bunch of just like yeah. you know uh, energy explosions. Uh, you don't really know what the hell's going on there. <laughs> this is one where it's like were they kind of on on a deadline? Because I, I see like a page that's mostly. A bunch of energy lines, followed by a page that's mostly a bunch of energy lines, followed by a page that's mostly a bunch of energy lines. It's like they were just kind <laughs> yeah. of cracking, cranking some pages out to get back on schedule at this point. A lot of big uh, full page or half page panels. You know, at the beginning, you've got all those tiny little George Perez panels. By the end, you got three panels on a page. One, because you're in this big, giant, vast cosmic battle. And two, because they're probably trying to get this book done as quickly as possible but uh yeah and then you know he takes out the the big cosmic entities you know what what, yeah, what the do one you by do one part that? is really cool when he when there's like a battle of, like first he takes on um the celestials and they're throwing the planets and then he blows them to smithereens and then chronos throws him back in time and then you know uh it's and then he faces um Master Order, uh, the Lord Order and Master Chaos, 
and he takes them out, and it's just it's just this really cool step by step thing leading up to the part where Mephisto actually betrays him and tries to steal the yeah. gauntlet. I think I, that's a great shot. Mephisto's basically got two hands wrapped around the gauntlet, and then he's got his feet up on Thanos like he's just going to try and rip, pull it right off and just kick <laughs> right off of him. And but, then Death uh, saves him. Yeah. Death you too betray me. I offered you the universe. And then Thanos gets p- pissed and everybody loses. And uh, and yeah, and I remember at this point just kind of going, like each step, like when, when the surfer's flying for the gauntlet, you're like, oh, okay, yeah, that makes sense that once they, they snag the gauntlet, oh, no, that didn't work. And uh, okay, well, yeah, the cosmic entities, of course the cosmic entities are going to be able to beat him. Oh, no, that didn't work. And you're getting to this point where it's like, you know, they're, they're, they really are running out of ways to resolve this. How? What's going to happen here? Uh, and, Forget eternity. Yeah. yeah, eternity comes out. That that's actually I thought one of the coolest um, the coolest parts is that he basically takes on eternity, he becomes eternity, beats him, and then that's the turning point where he actually loses the gauntlet. And it kind of reminded me, I don't know why, but it reminds me about the end of the Disney movie Aladdin when the the genie tricks. Uh, uh, um, Jafar into becoming a genie himself and becoming all powerful, but then he doesn't protect the lamp that he has. It's the same. It's almost like the same, uh, you know, kind of dynamic. And he's like, "Oh, your body's unprotected," and there's the gauntlet, and then Nebula steals it from him. So I thought that was kind of cool. Yeah, and I was wondering, you know, because she shows up early, um, and I don't remember. Uh, uh, apparently, she, you know, she she had some some uh, problems or whatever. She was part of the storyline that led into this and she popped up early and uh, she was basically there. Uh, his Thanos's daughter just to kind of be, be tormented more than anything else. Uh, so I really didn't see her popping up as being the thing that sort of spun everything. And, uh, and I thought that would, that was really kind of cool. And then she gets the gauntlet and uh, I just love, she, uh, she basically makes, Thanos and, and Taraxia go away and uh, they're floating in space and, and Taraxia is dead and Thanos just says for I had not the foresight to create Taraxia capable of surviving deep space without the aid of my now forfeited godly powers I shall miss her <laughs> <laughs> like oh well bitch is gone who cares but and that was his bottom bitch and then now uh, Thanos basically has to uh team up with the people who are trying to defeat him to uh to get the power back from nebula which uh so yeah i mean i i did not see that twist coming but it really made a lot of sense well it it, it, it's a a really good way of writing yourself into a corner and then back out of it is is what what they did here because most of the time writers will write themselves into a corner like that which is really epic and really fun but then to get everything back to normal, it's usually really, really lame. And this was not really, really lame because the Infinity Gauntlet is is an easy out and lets you do whatever the fuck you want. Mm-hmm. Like you can and and the the easy well just turn back time twenty four hours. Well, you turn back time to right before everything went down. You've got a problem with all these heroes and everything's back. So you know it's like oh. That simple fix was a simple fix, but not a simple fix at the same time. I like it. I like it a lot. Yeah, yeah. The, the way she she turns everything back, 
Um, and then all the dead heroes are alive again. So we've got that fix. But uh, but she forgets that 24 hours ago she was basically a kind of a burnt out husk. And and that almost undoes her. Oh, but like Thanos points out how she, you know, because of all those, you know, uh, years and years of being tortured, uh, she's like completely demented and having this like unlimited omnipotent power would be so overwhelming even for a person with a non-shattered psyche, which is a lot of the reasons why eventually, you know, she loses the the gauntlet and, 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 and eventually the series comes to a close. So, yeah, they, uh, and then basically, uh, it winds up, uh, I thought that was kind of odd that, uh, that they introduced this idea that, that Warlock was kind of outside of her perception. Yeah, that was really cool. Um, that, that was kind of, uh, you know, because he was, he was outside of the, the normal flow of things in the universe or something along those lines. Uh, Didn't it have something to do with the fact that he was from the soul world and perhaps maybe I was thinking as I was rereading it that maybe she didn't have a soul and that was the reason why she couldn't see him and everyone else could. I don't know. just was an idea. Yeah, I'm kind of looking through and I'm I'm not finding where he actually uh, specifically mentions why. Uh, But yeah, then uh, Warlock, because he, he she can't perceive him. And maybe it's because of his ties to the soul gem also because don't don't he the surfer and warlock actually wind up in the soul gem which is where uh where warlock had been living for many many years uh so then we get the confrontation uh with uh with nebula uh she loses the gauntlet and uh everybody dives for it I love how the Hulk is going for it and, and Drax is stopping him. And he's like, you idiot, I'm on your side. <laughs> yeah, I like that too. <laughs> and there's that great panel where all you see are a bunch of hands reaching out. And then it winds up with Warlock. End the conflict. It's how it ends. And well, what, what I kept thinking was, well, now that Warlock has this power, what's stopping him from being like a complete, you know you know, douche, and obviously they, they touch on that in Infinity War when he, the creation of Magus, uh, his, like, alter ego, evil alter ego, uh, comes into play. Yeah, don't they, don't they launch a uh, warlock in the Infinity Watch series out of this where I, I thought it was he gave a gem to uh, yes different people so that he was not in control of all of them, which is uh, something that... Uh, Bendis would pick up on years later with the with the Illuminati when they get a hold of the Infinity Gauntlet and uh, everybody gets their own uh, their own individual gen. Which I thought was kind of silly of that that one little piece of it because the Infin- uh, the uh, Thanos quest Thanos scours the universe for these gems and finally puts them all together to make get the Infinity Gauntlet and now you're just going to put them all on Earth with six different very powerful people, but it's six powerful people. If you can take out one and get one gem, you can get them all. Like, well, isn't that what happens in the Avengers eventually? Yeah, it you is. <laughs> it's all it's all for the purpose of selling more crossovers. Well, there was no real crossover. <laughs> it was just a it was just an Avengers story. Well, because I, I liked how in in the context of this and and prior to this in, in uh, Thanos Quest. 
uh, Warlock had the soul gem, um, and then different elders of the universe had different gems. They were all called soul gems originally, uh, and Thanos did actually gather them, I think, once before this, uh, not realizing what they were, how powerful they were. So the reason no one had done this before, and I think they tell the origin of the gems in, in Thanos' quest, um, is, is no one really realized that these things, if put together, were infinite power. So, you know, prior to this, uh, no one even thought to put the gems together. But, yeah, after this point, you would just be like, you know, that now that that cat is out of the bag, just giving them to different people is not going to really matter. No. And, and and don't they blink it out of existence in the, uh, in the Avengers? I don't remember. Don't Isn't that how they, how they solve that problem? Is well, it doesn't make sense to have it anywhere. We and I think they blinked it out of existence. Somebody used the the Infinity Gauntlet to blink the Infinity Gauntlet out of existence. I'm pretty sure that's how it happened. That would make sense. Eventually, yeah. them saying this is too dangerous for anyone to have. Right. Um, I really like the the way this basically wraps up, where uh, Thanos uh, is set to uh, to detonate a nuke. And they, they kind of knock him away, and he explodes, and everyone thinks he's gone. But, uh, but Warlock knows better, and Thanos is just hanging out on some planet. He turned his costume into a scarecrow. Now he's a farmer, big purple farmer. <laughs> I thought that was kind of a bizarre uh, uh, ending just for the Thanos character. He's, like, content with being, like, a farmer. Because, you know, he's not going to, like, stick around you know, doing that forever. He's definitely going to be back with a new plan. I, yeah, I had a huge problem with the nuke because what the, what the fuck is a nuke going to do to half the people that are standing there while, in front of him? Like, have, a nuke won't do anything to Thor, uh, Silver Surfer, Hulk will burn him a little bit, uh, Adam Warlock shouldn't do anything, Doctor Strange it shouldn't do anything, so why did they it would, care? It would hurt Doctor Strange, it's just Doctor Strange should be able to, like teleport away teleport. right yeah. that's what that's what i mean like who cares oh it's a nuke but whatever i think it was a, oh, a, a last this better thing. To, here's sorry. a better thing adam warlock has the infinity gauntlet he really couldn't have done something about that <laughs> good point yeah, yeah that's a very yeah he could have just like oh no you don't just snap just snap the <laughs> fingers like no you don't have a nuke anymore I really like the panel where uh, Thanos bitch slaps the uh, Hulk and Drax yeah. with one. Unhand <laughs> me, you dull-witted brutes. <laughs> That's a great line. Yeah, That's so great. There's not, again, they don't make, they don't write comics like this anymore. I feel like the writing has changed. I agree with your point, Mike, about how everything is like a like a witty, you know, J.J. Abrams television show. Well, um, you know, I, I, the I writing. Bendis is to, to blame. It's not to it's not Bendis to blame. It, it's actually the the fact that I don't think there's anybody under the age of thirty right now talking about this. I, I think comics <laughs> as a whole has become an adult media in this country. It's it, you know kids can still read it, and we we like to think that we want to get kids into it. But the people who buy, come in and buy comics on a weekly basis, who who support it, are adults, and adults. We'll read this for a short period of time, but then they'll stop because the dialogue isn't good enough. Because, you know, it is it is nice and cheesy and fun to look back on it. But if if this was what people were putting in comic books now for dialogue, 
like if this was the dialogue in Walking Dead, if they said something like "unhand me, you <laughs> dull-witted brutes," which you could easily say because just say just put two zombies there, would you you stop immediately? That that would be the stupidest comic book in the world. You, yeah, I, mean, you I, would be I don't know. If, I don't know if I agree with that. You know, I, I'm not I, saying I don't think that. I think that is the prevailing rationale behind it. But I don't know that there's anything that really supports that conclusion. Right. I think there's an assumption. But I, I also think a lot of it is um, the, the writers themselves want to, and, 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 well, it, I, I don't blame um, Bendis for that. I actually blame uh, Alan Moore and Neil Gaiman for bringing a kind of writerly sense to comics. So the writers want to write like real writers, not comic book writers. And with Neil Gaiman and Alan Moore, uh, they're, they're writing in a more literary sense. But you see a lot of the writers who are, are writing uh, at Marvel, guys like Bendis and Brubaker and things like that, who are not really those kind of writers who are writing more like TV and movie. So it seems like there's this... This this decision was made that because this is comic booky dialogue, and that the way that this dialogue comes off is the old Batman TV series, uh, you have to if you're going to be taken seriously, you write like movies or you write like books. Whereas for me, I don't think that that's necessarily the case. If you want honestly, you want my opinion. I think, I think the opposite is true. I think we have seen. If you look at the last 20 years, the more comics have been written like movies and TV shows, the less comics have been selling. I think because if you read a comic and you can get the same thing from that comic that you can get from a TV show, well, you're going to watch the TV show. If you can get that from a huge, big budget movie, you're going to get it from a movie. I think when comics had a more unique voice, people responded to them more. Yeah, maybe not the same people. Maybe we would, be, you know, when we're looking at at this, this, you know, n nowadays, uh, you know, geeks are cool. There's there's chicks at comic book conventions. When this book came out, that uh, that wasn't the case. So is that the trade off that we've gained more acceptance by a mainstream uh, audience, right. but we've lost that uniqueness, um, but also we've lost kind of the thing that, that made comics last for as long as they did. You know, if, if comics are the same thing as movies and TV, people aren't going to buy the Avengers. They're going to go to the Avengers movie. I, I guess. But, you know, there, uh, and I know you don't subscribe to this, but there's a lot more media out there, and it's a lot easier to, ac to access. Uh, you know, going to a comic shop, I, could, I can actually read a comic. I can do something on the Internet and not read comics at all. I understand oh, sure, losing, but, but losing that, that losing that voice, I guess. But at the same time, there's a whole bunch, a whole slew of other things that happened in the last twenty years that also contribute to the death or the declining sales of comic books. Oh, oh, sure. I, I mean, I, it's it's never going to be just one thing. Yeah. Um, but I think that that is one of the things that it that gets easily dismissed, um, and you know. There's this weird kind of cause and effect thing. There's always the well, kids, kids don't read comics. Um, well, maybe it's because they're not doing comics like this. I mean, if you, if you look at this, you know, three people on the panel, four people on the panel uh, read this when they were a kid and they ate it up. Yeah. 
Um, what where, where are the kids? I mean, now you have to read really watered down, tame uh, books like you know the, the the Marvel adventure sort of things because you're not get you're you're getting stuff that might be a little too dry uh, yeah. for for a younger audience. And and maybe it is the well the kids aren't going to read anyway, so we'll write it for the adults. But you know that that may be well, the case. But there's also the fact that. Well, maybe you start you started writing for the adults, so the kids didn't have anything to grab onto. Well, it, yeah, I think today's comics are really dense, and it's like like you said, they're writing. The writing is is too similar to it's it's more clever, it's more witty, it's more it makes you think, it makes you call back, and it's some sometimes it's just not good old um, um, just uh, time wasters. But, uh, you know, it's one of those weird things because the dialogue of now, 10 years from now, 15, will be hokey. Uh, the, the, the dialogue in this book was modern when it came out. But 10 years previous, 15, well, 20 years previous, that dialogue was hokey. So I, I think it's also just the uh, evolving art form that no matter what, <laughs> it was always better 10 to 20 years beforehand. I disagree with that. I think the difference between this dialogue in 1991 and say 1970 uh, or 1980s is I think there's there's not as much exposition. There's not as much as uh, we gotta remind our uh, our reader who everyone is, what they can do, what their backstory is. I think the the conversation, the dialogue is the same. It's just they took away a lot of that exposition. Yeah, well, I think but- that that was that was one of the 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 Jim Shooter things in Marvel and, and even prior to that is a lot more uh, every issue you had to assume that this was that person's first comic book. So you had to give them all the information that they would need in every comic book. Whereas at this, they I, I nowhere did anybody involved in this comic assume that Infinity Gauntlet number one was going to be someone's first comic book. Um, it may be their twentieth or thirtieth or fortieth, but this was the and you know again this was created this was created for comic book stores. This was created after the direct market. I mean, even though this would have been available on newsstands, I believe um, the understanding was the people who are coming to this either a know who these people are or have access to that information, um, and I think that did that did sort of shift the writing. And, you know, there's still comic books that are kind of written in this this style today to some degree, um, or at least with this kind of broadness. It's just they're not uh, they're not given the kind of focus that uh, that you tend to see or they're written with this sort of self-conscious like like the way that the Batman TV show was using the dialogue of Batman comics, but it was making fun of it as opposed to just being that way. Um, but yeah, I don't think you see a lot of when people look at talk about while well, the comics in the '60s had that broader sense. They're mostly talking about Stan Lee. If you read Denny O'Neill, you read you know Roy Thomas, you will get stuff that's much closer to this, not quite as broad as as, as Stan was writing. At least in my opinion. But yeah, I mean that's that's different tastes. You know, uh, uh, we we are also in in a particular era that has been defined by a, a group of people at Marvel. And for all we know, uh, in, in 20 years, uh, it may be somebody else. I mean, we're talking about a time here, like we had mentioned before, 
that uh, this was this was really the beginning of the rise of, of the artist's dominance uh, at Marvel. I mean, you've got McFarlane and you've got Lee and you've got Liefeld and all the guys who would eventually leave to go on uh, to do Image Comics. Uh, this was when they were really setting the comics world on fire. And then everybody hated the artists and yeah. started paying attention to the writers. And now it swung back to writers, which, it, which it'll probably swing back to artists again. Well, it may not, because the writers, as soon as they get pretty big, they're like, oh, fuck you guys, I'm going to go write TV shows and movies. Except for the <laughs> ones that really can't write TV shows and movies. Oh, sorry. I think, uh, I think it is kind of ironic that we are, uh, <coughs> that the, this, this last couple of, de- or really decade or so, of, of the writer's dominance, which really begins at Marvel... Uh, happens under a, an artist as editor in chief, and uh, now <laughs> okay. at DC, you know the the guy who was who was setting the comics world on fire with his artwork uh, when when Infinity Gauntlet came out is now the co-publisher of DC, and DC is very very much more a writer driven company than an artist driven company. So it's odd that that even even though these artists were, are in charge, uh, the writers are still uh, still kind of of moving things along which is interesting well, i think to be fair to casada he thinks of himself as a writer artist because well, uh yeah. because he did ash yeah yeah i was gonna say that i was gonna say ash. The, the only reason he even fucking got marvel knights going is because he had kevin smith the wordiest motherfucker <laughs> at least back then yeah when he, his, that daredevil stuff was wordy as hell but but in any event that's not the infinity gauntlet we're, we're done, right? And this is yeah. So, uh, so yeah. Like like I said, when I when I got to the end of this, I was like, wow, I like this a lot more on this read than I did before, um, and to the point where I was even like, I wonder if I should try because I remember I really did not care for the Infinity War, and I don't even know if I finished the Infinity Crusade, and I was kind of like, maybe I should give them a try. Nah. Uh, you know what? I've got two words for you. Um, Clone Wars, right? Isn't that what? Is, isn't that what the, the was it? Clone Saga, Clone, Clone Saga. Saga, Clone Saga. Because that that's right when Marvel creatively sucked way worse. Because it, it's right after those artists left, but a few writers left too. But right after those artists left, and it was just what bottom of the barrel. Even though I love that era of Marvel, in retrospect. I, I know not to go back and read it because it yeah. would be horrible. You know, it's funny. I've got, uh, I don't know if you've ever seen that book, The Marvel Chronicle. And it's got the just year by year, month by month, this is what happened at Marvel. And uh, and I broke that out just so I could, that, that's where I got like the references to what else was going on at Marvel at that time. And yeah, I mean, as I'm, as I'm here in 1991, you know, everything's really awesome. And kind of getting into 1992 and you're like, okay, yeah, we got Punisher Warzone. That was awesome. And uh Car, you know, the first appearance of Carnage, and but you've got like Mark Bagley doing Spider Man, and that was you know really good in Spider Man twenty ninety nine, and then as we're getting into like nineteen ninety three, it's like, oh, Punisher twenty ninety nine, and the Secret Defenders, and Daredevil getting that funky armored costume, and uh, oh wow, this is the death of Mister Fantastic and Maximum Carnage, and it just starts. You know, well, there's a few. I guess Marvels is a, a nice high point, but it just really starts to be a lot of, of shit hitting the wall. 
uh, you're just throwing stuff out there. You know, the clone stuff, the Scarlet Spider. You know, I have to give Marvel credit. At this point, they were so desperate, uh, despite still being successful. Um, but Image was stealing so much thunder that they were just like, we don't care. We don't care what we do to our characters. We'll change them. We'll, we'll do whatever it takes to try and get some attention back on them. And that, that's really kind of ballsy, which is something you don't, you know, you, you know with, the, with the, this new relaunch, uh, it, looking at all the stuff that's coming out, it's like, okay, yeah, they're relaunching all the books, but they're all still kind of the same. Whereas as much as you want to bash 90s Marvel, uh, they were more than willing to just say, you know what, this, this, we don't care if this bears any resemblance to the character you knew and loved. We're trying something different. And, and a few things stuck. The, let's rephrase that. The good stuff stuck. Yeah. The, stuff, the stuff that was like, oh, wait, that was interesting. I don't know why somebody did that. Now, granted, it did go away for like five or six years, but somebody did eventually pick it back up and went, yeah, this was this was the, the diamond in the rough of, of the heaping piles of shit that we were put, they, they were putting out there. Yeah. Yeah. I, mean, it's, it's, I remember when I, uh, <coughs> when I really was, was getting into comics heavily, uh, would have been in the eighties and in, in the eighties, the early eighties and mid eighties, uh, everybody thought comics of the seventies sucked, you know, that they were all stupid and they were cheap and, and it was the direct sales stuff, the modern stuff that was really, really good. And the stuff from a decade earlier was, was cheesy and stupid. And now all the seventies stuff is back and everybody loves it again. And they're worth a lot of money. So the nineties will one day have its day in the sun again. Well, hopefully not Spider-Man year one. <laughs> I must confess, I am one of the lone people that actually did like the Clone Saga. Up until the point where they revealed that it was, it was uh, Green Goblin messing with Spidey. You know, I, I liked it too. I didn't read all of it. I think I was just reading like Amazing Spider-Man. I didn't read all the Spider-Man books. Um, it may have got, gotten a little out of hand, but I, I kind of liked it. And I even liked the Ben Riley stuff. You know what? That's the next thing we're going to do. I, I would agree. I, I thought it was, there was parts of it that were cool. I would love to discuss that. Um, well, I it, thought it was, the, wasn't it the Jackal that was, was fucking with him? I, it was the Jackal, but, uh, we find out it was, a, it was after the clone saga though. You find out, uh, you find out that it was actually, uh, uh, Green Goblin, Norman Osborn, returning from the dead. He returned from the dead a couple years after the Clone Saga. Because I think the Clone Saga ends with it being the Jackal. And then a couple years later, you find out it was Norman Osborn. Yeah, I don't remember it. it, it, it so much has been kind of tweaked and, and retconned on that since then. Um, like, I remember I loved uh, Aunt May dying. And then it turns out, oh, no, yeah. that was a trick. From yeah, it was Norman. a clone. So, yeah, at some point, like, everything that ever happened to Peter... In the last twenty years, became Norman was responsible for whether he was or wasn't. Yeah, but which actually kind of made the Green Goblin like I thought pretty pretty freaking cool uh, that he was behind all these you know horrible horrible things um, behind Spider Man. Just like he really established for me that he was you know far and away his most deadly and you know most feared uh, villain uh, just because he was so like. He could just get right into his mind and just really, really just fuck with him as, as you know as hard as he wanted to. Yeah, it really gave him a, a Lex Luthor or a Joker, that super ultimate villain that, that he did not have prior to that. No, no. I, I, wanted, 
Yeah. I'm going to say that was bad because 10, 15 years later, I think it was, they decided to say that Norman Osborn, Osborn banged Gwen Stacy and they'd had twin kids. Oh, no, that was only like four or five years after that. I remember that. I, I don't that remember that. What he, what? he banged Gwen Stacy? Yeah, he, he had sex with Gwen Stacy and then had uh, twin daughters. Uh, twin, uh, a son, was a daughter. Daughter, son or daughter. Wait, wait, Norman or Harry? Because Harry Norman. was Norman. Norman. Oh, my God. Uh, that's well, that, that was originally, and that, that was the, uh, the, the original story that, that Straczynski had, had started with that. Where the twins were actually, the were actually Peter's kids, that Peter knocked up Mary or Gwen, and she went off to France and had the children and put them up for adoption, and then Casada was like, "No, he can't have children, that that makes him too old," and so they rewrote it uh, to make them Norman's kids, which made no sense, and uh, and was really pretty horrible. Um, but that was, you know, that was just like, you know, if, if you're not going to let him finish the story he started. Then, uh, then just don't approve the story in the first place because that was just the stupidest way out of that. Yeah, Spider-Man was really... Uh, I A lot of people bitch about uh, the one more day and the deal with the devil and all that, but the, the fact that it got rid of, very quickly and cleanly got rid of a lot of crap that had accumulated in Spider-Man over the years, I, I was fine with it. I don't mind a reset button if what you get afterwards is, is solid stuff. But anyway, we were talking about Infinity Gauntlet. Yes, uh, and we've finished. gone off on a, a huge, huge tangent. Nerd tangent. Uh, uh, we're we're going to end it here. Darnell said nothing. He just listened. <laughs> <laughs> See? He just laughed. You, you guys had... Uh, you, I thought you were going in a different way. And when Mike stopped uh, throwing at two people and everyone just started going, it was a snowball effect, man. I got caught in a snowball. <laughs> it's all right. Uh, does anybody have anything they'd like to plug? Uh, Jeremy? Uh, nothing. I don't really have anything to plug, but thanks. Uh, Anthony? Uh, nothing that I can actually plug. Okay. No. <laughs> All right. Uh, Darnell, anything you want people to look at, talk about? Uh, yeah, you can check out two websites for me. One, of them, is, one of them is DCUO uh, Unlimited.com, and the other is Marvel Universe Unlimited. Dot com, and those are the two uh, websites that I uh, edit for, and we cover the DC universe and the Marvel universe. Rock and or roll. Uh, uh, are we going to say anything else, Mike? No. Uh, no. Nah. Yeah, we figure you've you've if you're listening to this show, everything that we have to say, we say on the other shows. All you the know stuff it. that we have to plug. Go listen to another episode. Uh, so uh, what is it? Until next time. Keep fighting the geek fight. Good night.